All right, it is time for another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. This is John Krasinski at Pittsburgh Soccer. Now with me is Matt Popchock. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Excellent, John. You? Well, it's 24 hours, almost 24 hours ago, the hmm. Riverhounds uh, pulled off a cup set number two of their uh, now impressive 2023 Open Cup run. It's official. They're on an Open Cup run. I mean... Uh, the three wins in the Open Cup, three shutouts, and of course the last two coming against MLS teams, New England two weeks ago, and last night Columbus. Matt, the, one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on because I always love to get your your you know your input, and your your thoughts, and your opinions, but I want to get your emotions. What was it like <laughs> sitting in the Paul Child stand last night? amongst all the Riverhound supporters. I mean, it had to be a very special thing. I believe your tweet said, uh, is this heaven or something? Along <laughs> I, I was trying to think of something witty or poignant to say, and with whatever uh, energy and uh, mental stamina I had left after what we saw at Highmark Stadium last night, that seemed to be uh, the the best thing, the safest thing to put out there. <laughs> uh, brevity is the soul of wit, <laughs> as they say. Um, no, but the the operative word in your introduction, John, I think is emotion. Because if there's anything I take from the experience of Wednesday night, it's gaining a new appreciation for how hard it is for the 11 guys in uniform on the pitch to keep their own emotion in check and to keep their poise, which is to me, it's the biggest reason why they were able to pull this out. Great teams don't lose their poise in those situations. And the Riverhounds never lost their poise. That's why we're talking about this team performing, uh, you know, some might say a mini miracle you know, to this point in the course of its open cup run. But um, no, I, I, it's a whole new perspective on just, how hard it is at the professional level to to keep those emotions in check and to have that focus that you need to to have to seize those big moments in a big spot with about 80 minutes gone by uh you know in the Paul Child stand you're with the Steel Army you know you're standing for most of if not all of the match you know uh with the exception of the halftime uh interval obviously um you know but it it's nothing i'm not used to that being said, 80 minutes gone by and, you know, they're that much closer to pulling this thing out. And my legs started feeling like actual rubber. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think it was, you know, fatigue or anything like but it was just it, it was one of those things where it just it all starts to hit you all at once. Like, holy bleepity bleep 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 they might actually do this they're going like there was a sense like they're going to pull this out this is happening in pittsburgh in front of this record-setting crowd this incredible thing this watershed moment potentially for the franchise going forward it's actually coming to fruition the thing that we've talked about and kind of pipe dreamed about at different times on the podcast is actually the thing that's happening now and you know at that moment it um you know, it kind of hit me, but just to, um, just to give you an idea of how raucous the atmosphere was in the Paul child stand and the steel army for the record was, uh, in rare form 
<laughs> as you might guess. Um, I, I think that's the, the best way to put it. Um, you know, normally when the Riverhounds score, um, you know, they set up their smoke bombs and Chelsea Dagger plays. Thank you, Chris DeVivo. And, you know, you hear the goal announcement uh, on public address. Uh, then it's back to position and on we go. The moment that ball from Albert Dequa crossed the goal line, I could not hear a single note of Chelsea Dagger if my life depended on it. Never mind the official goal announcement that followed. And I've never experienced the, the steel. There's been games where the steel army was, you know, loud and you know, getting things going. That was as much of a fever pitch as I have ever heard or endured or experienced in that part of Highmark stadium in all the years I've been going to these matches. I mean, it was, um, you know, it, it, it was surreal. It, it was, you know, as someone who's wanted to see the club prosper and, you know, have a signature win like this, it really was a dream come true. I mean, so many things you said um, to dissect. Uh, I won't go overboard, dissect everything, but I just amazing. And you, you hit that key point about emotion um, it's clear the fans, it was an emotional night for the fans because, again, this is a moment we've waited seven, eight years, uh, we in Pittsburgh, to see this opportunity, to see an MLS team take on the Riverhounds at Highmark Stadium. We we got a taste of it in 2015, and that game, for as memorable as it was, and and it really set the tone because what it did was it said, hey, we've got to, they've got to do this more often, right? We want to, we want this, we want this. This is what the atmosphere should be like all the time, right? And of course, you know, the ebbs and flows of the history, you know, what happened with the, the franchise and the team and the different experiences they've had since that time. Uh, but now they're back at this point where they've reached, you know, the year five of the Bob Lilly experience but honestly, if you look at the attendance numbers, COVID definitely got in the way because they were incrementally getting, they were at almost, they were sitting right at 4,000 a game. And then in the 2019 season, very successful season. And it felt like they were going to get to the next level in 2020 and, and beyond. And of course, COVID got in the way. So there was a two year hiatus where that kind of got in the way a little bit. And, but I think people once last year, about halfway through last year, you could see things really started to pick up in terms of the attendance and people really getting it behind the team. And then the other part is you've got to have some bounces go your way. You have to have a run like this. It, it's sometimes you finally get the bounces go your way. I mean, the bounces didn't go their way in those previous Open Cup matches. They had to play them on the road. Sometimes, it, you know, New England didn't quite maybe play a, a good enough game. Columbus is really ravaged by injuries and we could talk about that all day long and and how you know depth wise but then i sit there and i'm going on in three different tangents here and say well the river hounds are probably at least from defensive and defensive midfield standpoint might be a deeper team than columbus right now uh and a goal goalkeeper <laughs> which is unbelievable to say but uh but that's that's a fact i mean columbus is an injured goalkeeper they have two injured center backs. They had to call up three crew two players just to play in the game yesterday. 
So those are legitimate issues that were on the forefront, but doesn't matter. The Riverhounds took care of business. Um, but to your point, though, and I, I, you talk about mental toughness. I mean, when you play against a team like the Crew, they, as Mark uh, Goodman, soccer rabbi, said yesterday, you know, they, they, they wanted to kind of lull everybody to sleep and just kind of ping it around and just deliberately just, just come take complete command of that match. And it took mental toughness uh, for the Riverhounds to, to, to stick with their game. I mean, they knew that they're so well, both sides, I think in this match were very well coached and it was just a matter of, it was a to turn really into a chess match. And I believe that, you know, so that was it, that mental toughness was, and, but it was so key to get back to what you were talking about, the mental toughness, it really mattered because there was so much emotion and it's so easy uh, you know, to let the emotion get the best of you in soccer. How does that happen? You know, fouls, discipline, um, you know, maybe um, coming in late for a challenge, um, you know, just just panicking. Uh, there was one moment I thought was really interesting. DZ Harmon, I believe, I forget what happened. There was like a little scuffle in the middle of the field. And Dequa was involved in it, and maybe Griffin, or there was two hounds, and there was a couple crew. And DZ Harmon comes running all the way over, and out Dequa looked at him. He, he looked, he pointed to the middle of his head. He said, "Use your head." And it was amazing. It was like this guy's been being coached by Bob Lilly for four years now. He gets it. He understands discipline in that moment. And DZ Harmon kind of backed off, and he went back to his spot. Like he was ready to come in and I don't know what he was going to do. It was like retaliate or yell at the referee or whatever <laughs> it was. But it was in that moment that I just thought this, this is a team that's even if the younger players maybe are a little getting the emotions getting to them, the veteran players like, all right. And, and of course you see when Canardo Forbes is on the field, when Robbie Mertz and Danny Griffin are out there, you know, I think a lot of the other guys, the younger guys, Mark Cabara and, um, you know, some of the other guys are taking, you know, they're following their lead. And I think that this team has that type of leadership and it, it had to be hard. You know, Robbie Mertz after the match talked a lot about that, you know, like it, it was definitely going through his mind, all the emotions. He was talking about the 2009 Penguins in the whiteout game. And his brother reminded him of that after the game. Like he was like, that was all going through his mind, but he still, he, I mean, you talk about a player who, was focused last night and and really did an unbelievable job um, in all the sacks, especially second balls. I thought he was he was fantastic. But so that's that's I'm going on about this. But but your point about being in the uh, Paul Child stand and all that emotion and the players somehow you know they they managed to to maintain um, man, mental toughness and stayed within and they stayed focused. And that was what Jamali Waite talked about in his post-game co um, press conference. And yeah, I asked him that question. I said, what was the last 10 minutes, last 20 minutes? You knew you were going to be under pressure. And his quote and uh, was it was right along those lines. He said, um, let me see, I have it here. So something that they work on in practice every day, dealing with all that pressure. Bob is really big on goalkeepers being aggressive and coming off the line. So he was talking about that making sure you get the ball in his hands. But the quote that I shared um, on Twitter was about, he kept saying the word focus over and over again. And he was just really focused on what he had to do. And he's a pretty young player. And so, but his international experience, I think has really helped him playing in 
in some of those environments in Europe and 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 in international competition. So, so that's you know I think that your point is and you're just getting me all worked up and excited about you know just wow I wish I was I could hear that and I could feel that because once the um, glass um, shuts on the on the windows in the press box um, it's not the same. And and in some ways, it's good for us in the media because we could stay focused and, you know, but every now and then all these years, I've been, you know, covering games now for 11 years in Highmark Stadium. I got to open that window just to hear what the, the Steel Army is singing or kind of what the vibe is and, and, and to hear it because you really have to hear it. You really have to soak it in. But um, anyway, that's my tangent. But Matt, um, you know, just again. From kickoff to the 90th minute, I mean, was it standing standing the whole time? How, just take us through maybe uh, what was going on. There was a um, there was a premium on elbow room uh, for one of the few times in the history of the stadium. Let's just put it that way. Uh, the white wave, which was called for by the team on somewhat short notice, you know the the white kit reveal, the official you know, kit reveal, as it were, just sort of happened this past weekend, uh, coinciding with the last uh, league victory. Um, but I, I think message was definitely received and message was definitely understood. And um, the white wave was very evident uh, in the Paul Child stand and they committed to it, um, you know, and it, it, it was like it was like being at the last league contest. You know, you could tell that it was a very healthy and uh, historically robust mix as far as the fan uh as far as the fans go of you know the regulars you know the familiar faces you see in that part of the building on a weekly basis and some not so familiar faces which uh is you know exactly uh everything the club wants and uh, everything you love to see and for me the there was a very telling moment toward uh the very end of regulation right before stoppage time the right around that 90 minute mark when the official put up the six minute sign and we were all thinking oh come the blank on six minutes you know you you I immediately know it's gonna be the, right right I heard that. You, you immediately know it's gonna be the longest six minutes of your life <laughs> you just you just kind of accept it <laughs> you can feel like the whatever it was come right out. I mean, when that six minutes went up, I was like, that's, this is Pittsburgh is so a lot of people were um, after the match were were making the comments on social media and especially on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Pittsburgh's a soccer town now, like Pittsburgh's a soccer town. <laughs> like you said, through, even through the evolution of that match, the I did Mark um, soccer rabbi. He, he said that, that the fans were right on, right on um, par in terms of responding to the officials perfectly. Like he was like, you know, I thought there was one time where I thought when I think it was Harmon went down on a shoulder to shoulder. And it, it was, it was, he went down really hard and yeah. I mean, everyone, and it was quite, the, okay. So my thought, but again, I couldn't tell being in the press box, maybe the first 10, 15 minutes, but then that Harmon, um, went down and then i think something else happened with Mertz, and he drew that foul and that mm. moments it just seemed like that that really got the steel army and everybody into it 
Well, here's the thing. I think no matter what sport you're talking about, Pittsburghers by nature, first and foremost, I mean, you know, we call ourselves the city of champions. It's fun and easy to expect and demand results. But I also think that Pittsburghers by nature expect a certain level of fight, a certain level of want to, if you will, from their professional athletes, no matter what sport you're talking about, even if the results aren't always there. And I think the thing that I appreciated to your point, the most about um, being in the thick of that crowd last night is that, you know, whether you're talking about the regulars or the yins or front runners, so to speak, you know, they recognized, they recognized those little moments, those hustle moments when Mertz did those little things or somebody else did something to draw a foul or you knew they were being a pest and, 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 you know, getting, uh, getting between the ears of uh, Columbus a little bit. Uh, the fans, I think I agree with you. I think that by and large, they really, they recognized and they appreciated those little hustle moments throughout the match that when you string them all together, the little things tend to add up to big things and to, to sort of latch on to my uh, earlier uh, less complete thought um, the, the, the most telling moment for me at that um, when stoppage time began in the second half, I believe it was right as the crew got their corner kick uh, within second half stoppage time. Uh, Luke Biasi, I believe it was, was hugging the post to the right of Jamali Waite, And he just, he looks at the crowd and he's like, you know, like really like I've never seen a Riverhounds player get into it like that. Like just yeah. engaging the crowd like he did right there. And you know, the, it's the, 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 it, the, after goals, maybe like, you know, right. or, you know, just doing that. Like, but after goals, usually. And, and the thing, it, it, it almost reminded me of, I don't know if it like, it reminded me of the end of Rocky three where he's fighting Mr. T yeah, and he's just yeah. like egging oh. him on, like, come on, hit me. Come on. You're not so bad. You're not so bad. It, you know, it was as if it was symbolic. It was as if the team was saying, come on, come on, Columbus. Come on. Come on. You want another? Come on. We'll give you another. Come on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. Come on. We dare you. You're not tonight. Not this time. And they didn't get it that night. They, they, you know, they didn't get it that time. And, you know, it's it, it was a swagger yeah. that I've very rarely seen from that team uh, on any night, in any match, in any context. Well, and, you know, I hate to yeah. – uh, sorry, John. I was just going to say I hate to, you know, toot Bob Lilly's horn any more than we already have. But, again, those things, I believe, start at the very top. You know, this is a team that, you know – takes after its coach the buy-in is there they all believe in his process they trust his process last night they executed his process and that's why they're going to the round of eight I, again i i i love the biasi um example because not only that but if you look back at the last three or four weeks of his probably last month of his progression progression as a second year player he's he's really become uh, a, a guy that you he, Bob's having a hard time keeping him off the field. And I don't think he played in the, uh, in the, in this game on Saturday, but there was a lot of squad rotation things going on um, matchups too. And I thought he was great to have him and DZ Harmon as those kind of those wide wingbacks, the, 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 you, you know, the, the fifth outside backs or wingbacks, whatever they were, but they were like really two way players and they were really responsible for, 
making sure those those dangerous wingers for Columbus, even their second line guys, were very successful in the previous two Open Cup matches, scoring goals against Indy and and scoring goals against um, um, Loudoun United. But um, but yeah, no, I think that that's a great point about Luke and and I would say the same thing in terms of the swagger. I mean, if you looked every single time Danny Griffin was making you know an advance into the final third. I mean, he was playing with a lot of swagger. I mean, we're talking about those stepovers. Um, one time late in the match, he he kind of went across the top of the box and then he he drilled that one shot. Um, I think it was the only second shot or third shot on target. They only had two or three on target all night. But that was, uh, you know, he just showed some swagger. I think, again, Mertz, uh, the, the one time, I think he completely undressed the, the one player um, got the won the ball back and then got fouled. And that was, you know, those are the type of things. It was they and Mark and I addressed this last night too. They were playing with a lot of confidence. They had a lot of confidence. They they, you know, again, it success breeds confidence, right? So the success that they had in New England, knowing that knowing that they could play toe-to-toe, they could win the second balls, they could do those all the little things against an MLS opponent. Uh, I think it spurred them on, but I do think there are some issues with some of these MLS teams in terms of depth. Uh, with if they do hit injuries, and then they have to look at make really tough decisions in the Open Cup. But that's still no excuse. And another point that you made, you just made, and you talked about Bob Lilly. Uh, the players, you know, are, are emblematic of him and and, and represent him, and um, are truly, um, you know, I think especially when you think about like. Dequa and Griffin and Mertz, these guys have been in Rovera. They've been playing for Bob for four, some of them five years now. And obviously Forbes has been playing with him for over a decade for him. Um, you know, they all, they, yeah, they, they understand what Bob's trying to implement and that whole system. And, and, and what was interesting was I know Columbus got a lot of criticism uh, after the match within their own fan base and even some others. But the truth is, uh, Wilfred Nance is is a, is in his first year. He's trying to establish a winning culture, and he's going to do things his way. And this is it's a process. And so, as part of the process, he needed some of these younger players to play a, a game. And this this is the exact same thing Bob Lilly talked about after the Maryland Bobcats game. He said, "I've got to see what these guys can do." I need this this game to be able to see what these guys can do. And I want them to be successful. We want to be successful. And you know what? Those are MLS players. So that's why I say throw that all this. Well, there was their second team. Yes, I get it. You know, Darlington Nagri and Aiden Morris came off the bench. And um, Zalarea, they didn't play. I dated two of them. Didn't even make the trip. I get it. And Cucho Hernandez didn't make the trip. I get it. I get that. The still bottom line is that those guys are MLS players. They've got to step up when they're they need to. And they weren't good enough. They were not as good as the Riverhounds last night. And I think on, I think it's not one of those. Well, if they played ten times, the Riverhounds would win once or twice. I think if they played ten times with the personnel that were out there with the coaches where they are with their clubs right now in terms of established um, rapport with their players and their systems and all those type of things. I think the Hounds win six or seven out of 10 times. I really believe that. No. And I, 
I believe that as well. And, and the thing I take from that New England Cup set a few weeks back is, you know, I, I promised myself going forward that I wouldn't be surprised by anything that happened with this team because that was when they planted the seed. And since then, they've poured water on the proverbial seed with the way they've carried themselves, not just in league play, but last night, obviously, uh, and just the way they embraced uh, and leaned into uh, the opportunity that was before them. And, you know, it's uh, being being the husband of a teacher. The thing that I always say about teachers is the teacher can teach until he or she is blue in the face. It's still on the student to listen. You know, you, you to use an, uh, a metaphor from a different sport, a different kind of football, you can't be a quarterback and a wide receiver at the same time. It just it, it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and you'll get you'll never get any argument from me that Bob Lilly just might be the rain man of defensive soccer. I mean, I, he really is just such a shrewd tactician, and it showed in the way he uh, out-schemed Nancy uh, on Wednesday night. But the buy-in, uh, as I said earlier, from the group still has to be there. The trust in that shrewdness that genius if you will still has to be there there were times with a lot of these same players in recent seasons where you know they had the coaching you know they had the x's and o's they had the raw talent but i don't know that they listen john <laughs> you know just i i don't know any other way to say it but i just i i don't think that the the belief in what he was doing was 100 there what i saw wednesday night however was 11 guys and more than 11 guys really for 90 minutes. And then some all believing all together, all tugging on the same rope. And when you have that, ultimately you get what you deserve and they got what they deserved. And, and I'm, I'm glad you dismissed the excuse because I think it's an excuse as well. Quite frankly, have all the, uh, you know, have all the 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 sentiment uh, toward upper division soccer you want. That doesn't change the fact that one team was very prepared and looked prepared and very businesslike and like a team that pretty much knew what it was going to do from the beginning and did it, and the other team didn't. You know that that fact has not changed. Well, we've seen that. We've seen that in years past, especially when the Riverhounds had. Well, interesting, Matt. I don't know if you saw this, but I made the point to say that the only times the Riverhounds have ever had losing seasons. Did you see? Did you see? You know where I'm going with this? I think so. Please continue to go there anyway, but uh, I, I think I know where you're going. Okay. The only time they've had losing seasons in the in the uh, Highmark Stadium era were 2014 and 2016 and 17, and those are two years that. Granted, there were other organizational issues and mm -hmm. why they weren't so good, but they also had established partnerships with MLS clubs. <laughs> and they were relying on some of these MLS guys, and some of them ended up coming. You know, who were good players. You know, like Marshall Hollingsworth. He was a nice player. You know, yeah. like, regular. He was steady. He was the one guy that was steady. But then all of a sudden, you got all these other guys coming in and out. You didn't. You know, one or two games. Uh, it would, you don't know, there's no, from there's, they can't, how can you get guys on the same page in soccer when you got guys coming and going up and down 
And it's tough to really tough to do. And I think that's one of the reasons why, especially in 2018, when Bob took over, he's like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with MLS clubs. I don't want any kind of affiliation. We don't want to be a feeder system. We want to build a club, a winning culture, a winning established. I have a system. This is the way it's going to be. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and he did and but those other years, you know, the the hounds kind of made deals with the devil, like, oh right, yeah, we'll get these good players, and you know, the and Houston, the Houston Dynamo experiment didn't work really that much either. Of course, they signed Anthony Arena the next year to a contract with the Hounds. Um, but those other players, I mean, we've seen them all in USL years later, you know, Brian Ownby and Jason Johnson, those guys. But my point is just in terms of the continuity, and, and that's what Columbus is trying to do in, in a lot of these MLS teams in these Open Cup games. They're trying to kind of get these guys, bring them up. I mean, we've seen all the – how many times over the years in the USL championship with the, uh, the MLS two teams that are no longer really part of it but did before? I mean, there was very few times. There was some successes. Um, the New York Red Bulls, obviously, too, for the, in their heyday – from 2015 till about 2019, 2020, were, you know, they were pretty good. They were, they just had a system. They kept their guys. They, well, they, but the thing about that organization is that they're, they have such a rigid way of playing. They are just that high, high, high pressing. And they're all part, you're part of that organization. Everybody plays that way. Um, so I think, but not, it just seems like when new coaches come in and, you know, that kind of thing. But I think we turn the page now. Open Cup goes to uh, to the uh, quarterfinals. And this is like only one time in the Riverhounds history have they gone this far. And that was in that same 2001 year where they did beat an MLS opponent, Colorado Rapids, and then lost to the Chicago Fire in the quarterfinal. This is, this is almost pretty much in the modern era, uncharted territory for the, for the, uh, for the Riverhounds. And, and I think the opponents, Bob said this last night that the opponents will get tougher. It will get tougher because they're going to start to put more chips in the ta- on the table. They're going to, they're going to start to put their best options out there as well, because, you know, you get that close to the prize. I don't care who you are, what organization, if a trophy is in sight, they're going to go for it, especially FC Cincinnati, because look, they're still a relatively new MLS club and they have an incredible fan base. We've seen that. We've experienced it as Riverhounds fans trying to knock them off the block when they first turned in the USL championship. They exploded onto the scene uh, and they have a beautiful new uh, stadium. So it'll be interesting to see now this far along into the Open Cup, how many tickets they'll sell um, for that match and what type of atmosphere that will be. Um, I don't think it would match the the second division, you know, Riverhounds level um, uh, atmosphere. Mm. But um, yeah, so I mean, you it must be interesting for you as well, being uh, that you have some some history in the city of uh, Cincinnati as well. Yeah, I I got my BFA at the University of Cincinnati. I have a lot of fond memories of that city because it reminds me in many ways. Uh, of the city of Pittsburgh, especially Clifton Heights, the part of Cincinnati uh, in which uh, the university is primarily set. Um, Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's why, um, 
you know, it, it, it's such a culture shock to see what FC Cincinnati has been able to accomplish in the last, you know, five, six, seven years, because, you know, back in, in my day, uh, at, at the risk of, uh, make, uh, dating myself, making myself sound, uh, making myself sound old, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was a time when you probably couldn't give soccer tickets away uh, to any club, upper or lower division in the city of Cincinnati. And clearly that isn't the case anymore. Um, but that's, that's what's so impressive about this is unlike years past, and, and you sort of touched on this a little bit. I don't necessarily think the river hounds have it made per se in terms of, um, the level of difficulty with which they've had to power through, you know, a long regular season in USL and and do what they're doing right now because, you know, the league is so different now. People, the league is forcing other people. I won't name certain other soccer commissioners by name, but the league is forcing people on its own terms by going out and proving it on the pitch to take it seriously and with all of those mls farm clubs um you know going by the wayside and kind of forming their own thing uh loud and you know notwithstanding um the days of the riverhounds being able to count on those teams as punching bags or sacrificial lambs if you will are over you know they're the way the league is right now there really isn't uh, uh an easy or cupcake or throwaway match for this club on a weekly basis. Um, it, it's been hard for them to get to where they are in the league table right now. And as you said, it is going to get harder and harder going on, obviously throughout this open cup tournament. But the thing that Pittsburgh will again have on its side going into the round of eight, regardless of the fact that they're going into enemy territory to play it is they are the team kind of like what Birmingham Legion is doing simultaneously. They are the team that is playing with found money. And when you've got one team on one side that has literally nothing to lose at this point, And when you've got another team that is just now starting to build credibility in the top division and maybe has a little bit more to lose, including some very hard earned pride, strange things can happen in sports when those two forces collide and we'll see uh if lightning can thrice strike thrice excuse me and it happens again absolutely and you know the the truth of the matter is cincinnati is is playing really well i watched uh, some of the the new york red bulls um uh winning match in the uh, open cup and i i think they you know they talk about mental toughness i thought that that's really what pulled them through obviously penalty kicks it can go either way but but yeah, again, even last year, I, I, they they were they did what New England couldn't do to the Riverhounds this year, and they did what Columbus Crew couldn't do. Uh, they just they found a way. Uh, they they were they put tons of pressure um, on Jamali Waite and Pittsburgh. The difference is the Hounds. We talked about Bob and the confidence and to carry out the execution of this thing, even against New England and even against Columbus. The Hounds are limiting, just limiting shots. Like if you in the USL championship, they're tops in the league in limiting shots. And it carried over into this cup competition as well. They it just look at this. I mean, you you figure when you play against second division against a first division team, the way that the second division team normally wins is 
they can concede the possession. Okay, the Hounds have been conceding possession most of the season anyway in the USL Championship. It's about being more dangerous when you have the opportunities. And, of course, they're, they've they've scored up a counter or um, a quick uh, interception like they did last night, you know, from Arturo Odonio's stepping in, Mertz getting the ball, just quickly finding that open seam in the, in, in the, the, the center backs open up. And that's how the Hounds are going to – they're going to be opportunistic and that's why they'll always have a chance, even against these high-level um, first division opponents, um, because they're because they're so disciplined right up the middle or defensively. Whatever Bob needs them to do, if they're going to just like they did yesterday, just take away the middle and force, you know, force a Columbus to try to play direct, which is not, definitely not their game or make them just so frustrated that they're just kick knocking it around all over the place, but with nowhere to go. Um, that's Bob Lilly. That's the coaching. That's the Hounds discipline. And as you said earlier, that's the players, you know, really buying into everything. And, and, you know, guys like, I mean, DZ Harmon came to this club list and Jaron Steele and the Trib and I were talking about this yesterday. Jaron Steele and Langston Blackstock came to the Riverhounds as forwards. They have been playing outside back position. This is, you know, this is where, where was the Hounds last year? Why did they struggle so much? Well, Alex Dixon had to come back and play that position. So now Bob has found depth. He's got Luke Biasi. He's got Black, Blackstock. He's got Harmon, who, you know, especially Blackstock in league play has really emerged uh, as one of those guys um, that can play out on a width and can do, do things. And they've done all this with Danny Rivera being hurt. Um, and being out of the lineup. So that's another added player that can add to the mix. So uh, you, so they have the depth, which is startling it, when you say that. But the way I've seen it, in the la especially against Columbus, they've had more depth than an MLS team in, in some respect. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about what, what that matchup will look like. Um, I think it'll be really tough for the Hounds to win, but but I think it's it's... I think they I give him a 50-50 chance. Well, I, I think um, well, if history is any guide, I think we're going to see uh, schematically more of the same from Bob Lilly and Pittsburgh uh, when Toe meets Leather on June 6th. And I bumped into Rachel Krieger uh, before Wednesday's match, and we were talking. And by the way, before I do forget, Rachel and Ed Thompson both did a phenomenal job with their photography, capturing perfectly just the the beauty and the emotion of everything that happened at Highmark last night and the people who haven't seen their photos, I strongly suggest you check them out pronto. Uh, find them on social media and check them out because it's great stuff. But Rachel and I, I remember, were looking at the starting lineups when the starting lineups came out and, you know, we were looking at the Riverhound starting lineup. And I think she and I were both in kind of agreement about what was, you know, what was going to play out. You know, we we both thought that, this is the starting 11 of a coach who is going to count on, yes, his top goal scorer, his bell cow, but also a lot of those depth guys, those unsung heroes that you talked about, to do that Trojans work, to keep them um, to the outside, to limit their high danger chances. And I'm going to have faith in my guys to find a way to cobble together just enough offense to take control of this game. <laughs> then, you know, you... You get into 60, 70 minutes, you bring on Canardo and company, and you trust them to lock that S word down. 
<laughs> in a manner of speaking. Did you hear the quote Bob had after the match about Tola showing me? Said, uh, I did not. I don't think. I'm sorry. He said the Columbus crew backline are going to be having nightmares about Tola. <laughs> it was he was not like, wrong. <laughs> all he did was hound and press and hound and press, hound and press. That should be a thing. Hound and press, hound and press. Maybe <laughs> new Steel Army T-shirt. <laughs> hound and press. But that was Tola last night. Like I was like, you know, Tola is he's had his moment. He had that sitter last night. I mean, my goodness, it should have been two nothing. <laughs> Uh, if he puts that one through, it was it, it it needed a quick reaction, a perfect placement. Otherwise, yeah. he ended up skying it. But um, but he's a guy that's had he's that's happened to him now. How many times? Uh, those first couple games of the season when he came in off the bench, he had he came this close to scoring, um, and then again last night. But he's a guy that uh, you know. But he's doing he's doing dirty work. And Edward Keys is another one you know who. I think up until the Las Vegas game in league play, you know, he started so many matches. He's played a lot of minutes and he really hadn't produced a goal yet because he's playing, you know, underneath Dequa. And, and, and he came through, he finally came through, scored those two goals. And Bob was like, you know what? He's earned it, but he's it just, you know, it, he's earned it. Uh, he's played really hard through the whole season. And, you know, when you do that, those op- you're finally, you're finally going to get those chances. So I think the same would be for Tola. I think he he those chances will come for him. Um, but he's working so hard on that high press. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Dequa when he first came to the Hounds. It was more about the work rate. And, you know, he was struggling a little bit with that clinical finish. But, you know, so, so but yeah, all those role guys doing different things. I'm sorry, I did interrupt you, but I, I just had... No, to- no. It, yeah, it's... um And... How liberating is it to see Dequa, you know, just uh, on top of the world and on top of USL and league scoring for that matter? And I, I can think of so many times I thought to myself, bless this man's heart. There's so much potential there. If he could only figure out a way to finish and turn the potential into something that puts food on the table. And now a lot of those shots that maybe weren't going in in years past are going in for him, including a pretty darn big one last night against an MLS side. And uh, things have really come, uh, really been crystallized for him. And that's fun to see as well. You mentioned Ed Thompson's photos and he, I think he tweeted something not too long ago this evening, uh, hit one of his photos. He put it in a standalone tweet of like a finish. It was when Dico was making that finish just that that was a, a remarkable shot. And really, he it was him and Evan Bush, the goalkeeper. And the thing about it was, again, the composure. Does he score on that one in his, in his first season in Pittsburgh? I mean, he had two seasons with St. Louis before that. He was a very young player yeah. starting up in USL. I think he came in at 19 or 20. Um, but, yeah, does he, does he have the composure to – you know, slot and I'm sitting in the press. I always do this. This is the coach in me. I'll be hmm. as soon as he gets it, and I could. I'm watching the play. The mm-hmm. thing, I'm saying right foot, right foot. Like I'll go left foot, right foot. It could be the opposing team too. If the goal, if the guy making a run towards goal, I'll, it's just the coach in me. I'm like left foot, right foot. You know, like go. This is where you should go with it. Um, and I, as soon as he touched the ball, I'm like right foot because you could see Evan coming out, and he looked like he was trying to. I don't know why he, he didn't take away his right foot. He kind of came out the other, just a little bit to the other way. And he could just slot, you know, opened up his right foot and he, and he had just enough room to get it inside the right post. 
Yeah, and the the build up to that goal and, and you know the the end result of that play, uh, John, uh, I don't think was any accident at all, and it was a byproduct of the counterattacking patient system that we've been talking about that they were able to execute on route to the result last night. I mean, you look at the way that play unfolded from a Columbus point of view, you're going to say, Oh, that was a cheaply given away ball to, you know, to Mertz and company. Uh, and, and Mertz ends up getting uh, the biggest assist of his life probably uh, to this point. Uh, but from a Pittsburgh point of view, you look tactically um at what Pittsburgh was trying to do, that was that turnover was very much a byproduct of that um, that patient, tactful, defense-oriented strategy, and you know just kind of taking away space and taking whatever uh, Columbus gave them. And um, as a fan, seeing Dequa on the end of that ball, you know y- you get the feeling in the pit of your stomach that. Um, there's at least a pretty good chance he's going to score on that play, seeing him one-on-one with Bush. You're just thinking, please, for the love of all things holy, let the flag stay down. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and a part like, while, while we were celebrating the goal, I'm not going to lie, I looked off to my left and I watched the AR run down and run back and I'm like... Okay, we're good. <laughs> it's uh, just a, a really cool moment and a very impressive, impressive play all around. And when you're sitting in in the end like that, you you have no you have no ability to judge the offside. Yeah, unless it's so blatantly obvious. And <clears throat> Tola was, I think, he had about four or five offsides last night. Though he was uh, again, his he was pressing so much, and he was. But there were a couple times where they. They're like ball came to him and he was just he either got overzealous and you know but I think it was okay as far as um you know because I think his his job was really pressing it was almost like a defensive um effort for him last night making sure pressing that bat those center backs and the center backs were were definitely struggling um uh, with that but um all right well uh Matt uh, again any final thoughts obviously the hounds have to uh, you know they've got to get they've got a league match coming up on Saturday. They 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 Loudman, um, and then they're I believe they're what's nice is that they're home before the Cincinnati match. So that really the schedule kind of works out for them. I think it's Charleston Battery um, on June. Phoenix 8th. Rising actually on the third. Yeah, right. So Phoenix has to come east, and uh, the, so the Hounds have been pretty obviously successful at home so far this year. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it, it works out pretty well for them schedule wise, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Getting the what has been a rare Sunday match this season, and that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Um, getting that extra day of rest this particular weekend, obviously, all things considered, that really does. It, it's another example of the planets kind of finally aligning in their favor all to to will this thing to happening. Um, no, but it's it's another instance john where kind of like after going into gillette stadium and beating new england revolution you know the there's got to be a certain level of come down you know after you know you enjoy you entitle yourself to enjoy the moment obviously but you also have to keep in the back of your mind that there's league business to attend to and this is a loudon side that you know may 
come back to earth maybe coming back to earth they might not but they've played very good soccer by and large to this point in the season they're going to be at home um the expectation perhaps externally of a possible cup hangover might be there um uh, you know you wonder what kind of an effort uh, the river hounds are going to have uh left in the tank uh come sunday even with the extra day of rest that's why um you know you hope that you hope that they just don't get caught napping as they have been guilty of doing against this particular team, especially in that particular stadium uh, in the not too distant past. So um, I, I'm very interested in seeing uh, if they can stay within themselves and, you know, continue to carry themselves with this just very unique level of professionalism that I don't know that we've ever seen from this club before. And boy, is it ever fun for both of us to watch. I think we saw it at the end of the, the second half of the 2019 season is when we saw it. And I think this is where we're starting to see it now. Um, but the Loudon form coming in, that they, they've lost four straight, uh, including the 5-1 loss to Columbus in the Open Cup. The I get pretty much the same personnel that the Hounds put out, but um, you know, they 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 were frisky, especially early in the season. They they had some pretty impressive wins uh early in the season, but they they've kind of leveled out. I think their issue is depth. They do have some interesting uh roster. Uh we'll see um um uh, former um hold on here. Just uh hold on. I, I... Yeah, the 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 Loudon United is almost like the uh, pathway uh, for pit players to go because <laughs> Ryan Martin, former uh, assistant for Jay Vitovich at um, at Wake Forest, and then just that relationship. And there's been former pit players like you know, Alexander Dexter and the two. Um, I'm trying to think who came over Shane Wheat and um, and Robbie Dambrot uh, were with Loudon, and now Giannis Learman who uh, was a defender, he scored a goal for Loudon already, um, for defender for Pitt in their last uh, College Cup team, uh, as long as uh, Bryce Washington, a defender who with Pitt. Um, Good goal, yeah. The first College Cup team. And they also have, uh, you uh, had mentioned, go ahead, uh, I think you and I were just- Yeah, uh, Tommy Williamson, who was um, uh, a winner, uh, came over on loan from San Jose, if I'm not mistaken, John. Um, yeah, very exceptional player. And so a good finisher and really good on set pieces. Uh, and then Dane Jockerman. So Dane, who's Dane Jockerman, somebody might say here. The Riverhounds fans may not be familiar, but if you know your Pittsburgh soccer uh, in the youth circles, uh, Dane had actually started up with the Riverhounds Academy as a goalkeeper. Uh, was, he was in Alderdice. He went to Alderdice for his freshman year. And then he was uh, went over to uh, to DC United Academy, uh, and and actually played. I believe he played a year at Penn or a year or two at Penn, collegiately. But then he's he's he signed a contract with that Loudon now. Mm -hmm. So he is a he's a professional goalkeeper now, and uh, so good for him. Uh, but yeah, I lived in Pittsburgh up until he was a, a freshman in high school at Alderdice. So, uh, so a lot of Pittsburgh ties on that. <laughs> so uh, we we definitely I've been always keeping a close eye on them. Um, and uh, the thing about them too is that they're breaking free from the DC United uh, as well. There'll be an independent club now uh, moving forward, and they're going. I mean, they're going to 
They're not going to be going through what we were just talking about earlier in this podcast, you know, and I think that'll bode well for them. There'll be an independent club. They have their community behind them. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see how they develop. And I think this is, we're starting to see signs that they're not just a handoff uh, to team, but it's going to take them a little while under Ryan Martin, I think to, to, to maybe to get to that next level. But, uh, but nonetheless, I think it's a, it's always a challenging game for the Hounds. They were, they've struggled uh uh, I think at least once in re- each of the past few years, they lost um, a game in, in Loudoun. So what it's Yeah. Worth. Yeah. Well, like I said, uh, the big challenge obviously is to just, you know, go out and play their game again and, and not get caught napping and uh, not incur the post game wrath of Bob as they have under, <laughs> after a couple of those uh, aforementioned setbacks uh, and, you know, looking, you know, not to put the cart before the horse, but looking beyond DC uh, looking beyond Loudon, excuse me, uh, wearing DC colors, but I digress. Um, the, they got that next home match June 3rd, the beginning of what the team is marketing as the summer of soccer uh, in Pittsburgh. And I think that after what happened Wednesday, there's a very good chance that that summer of soccer may come to fruition. And I would encourage uh, if you are listening to this, if you are one of those aforementioned newcomers, first timers, et cetera, who was there last night and you liked what you saw. I mean, who didn't, um, you know, come back please, you know, just you know, check out a league match, be a public advocate for the team that you saw play their hearts out for you uh, Wednesday night uh, with the whole country watching. Uh, and, you know, let's, um, uh, the time is now to get behind the club. Respect has been earned and uh, I think support is deserved. Well, and that's the interesting thing I, in let's see where it goes, because honestly, leading up to the cup match, I, this is this was unheard of before. I, if you told me that the Hounds would sell out three matches in May, uh, one in late, I think one was in April, and then the other two in May before the Open Cup match, that they had sold out you know, th- those matches, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, no way. But they've sold, I mean, they've, they're coming off consecutive sellouts. It's not just you know, it wasn't just like, well, the Open Cup, it's going to start bringing people to Highmark. I mean, they've had sellouts now, three straight, four, I guess it's three or four straight matches. So the momentum is clearly there. Now, like you said, summer of soccer, now they're going to, they're going to be home a lot, a lot of road games early in the year. So from a business standpoint, from a ticket selling standpoint, it looks like it's worked out, that worked out pretty well for them. Absolutely. And that's on an earlier edition of the podcast, I know you and I had talked about things that, um, you know, obstacles early in the season that uh, at least I felt uh, were going to inevitably even out over the course of a long season. And one of those was the fact that they had, like you said, played such a road heavy schedule early in the season. Um, you know, you, you wonder at times, you know, who they ticked off to get so many road games early on. But um, I agree with you, John, from a marketing standpoint, uh, it really does set up beautifully. You know, this is the weather has finally broken in Pittsburgh. This is when the team does tend to draw some of its better crowds historically. Uh, and, and also summertime, you know, early summer. 
summer is typically historically, at least under Bob Lilly, um, the time of the regular season in which the team um, starts to kind of come together and hit its stride if it hasn't done so already. Um, so uh, again, a lot of, uh, things, uh, coming into picture, uh, a, a lot of things being, um, being crystallized and it's, uh, it's, it's very exciting. Again, um, it's, it's one giant opportunity and, um, it's going to be on them to take it. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to put a bow on things and wrap up this podcast. Uh, Matt, it's it's been great talking to you. Uh, I, I think there was there was absolute need to 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 turn on the podcast for a 24 hours after <laughs> what was one of the most memorable uh, experiences in terms of the Riverhounds uh, in their history uh, in Highmark Stadium era in the progression of the Bob Lilly era. I think these they checked a bunch of boxes in the Bob Lilly era. But this is another big one, like the playoff success or not quite quite. I mean, last year was nice. You know, there's a little taste of the playoffs. I think there's there's hunger to go further. Um, that will talk down the road this rest later this season about that. But but now this this they, they just have never been able to do an open cup run like they're doing now. So I think there's there's they're continuing to check off these boxes and make that progression. Um, one thing we really didn't touch on, and I, I guess we'll have to, I'll save this for another podcast, especially um, been curious that we're going to be seeing some, a column coming from, uh, I will hint everyone, uh, a column coming from Dominic Campbell about the, uh, you know, Pittsburgh doesn't need the MLS. Uh, mm -hmm. and he put out a tweet last night and I'll tell you what, it got a lot of um, interesting um, response and, uh, it, but our own Dominic Campbell and, uh, but it's a it's an interesting way to look at it. And I think that's honestly. I think that's the way I think that's the spirit right now. I think that's the spirit everyone feels is like we don't need MLS here. You know, if you had this conversation eight, nine years ago, I think it was the opposite. It was like, oh, when's MLS coming to Pittsburgh? The MLS coming to Pittsburgh. And there's a little a lot of people still out on the fringes who sort of say that, you know, still say that now. But the people who really know soccer, who finally grown through this the the progression of the riverhounds franchise during the highmark stadium era i think everyone truly gets it now that this is they want to see this team be successful at this level right now and have these opportunities in the open cup to beat mls that's that's the that's right now that's the what they should be shooting for and that's what they should be doing so i, I think that people in pittsburgh who love soccer should be ecstatic right now and they'll continue to grow uh, if this keeps up. I could not agree more. And I could not agree more about the position on uh, whether or not the city needs MLS or not. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want to turn this into MLS bashing, certainly, but, you know, it's um, I, I, I look forward to reading Dom's column because I think, you know, based on the, I know the tweet you're talking about and based on what you mentioned, um, you know, I, I think he has sort of a leg to stand on. You know, I just I find it amusing that, you know, our league isn't good enough for the upper division soccer people, yet it was good enough when the upper division wanted to absorb some of the lower division's most successful franchises in the past 10 years. 
Absolutely. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, I do look forward to reading uh, what Dom said. And um, I, I just think, I, I think everybody in Pittsburgh owes a tremendous debt of gratitude to the Pittsburgh Soccer Now family and uh, Matt Grubba for facilitating the Pittsburgh Soccer Now family and uh, Mr. Schollenberger and Mr. Garner and Bob and the players and, you know, everybody and everything that went into last night. Um, you know, this is, uh, what's happening right now is something that I think, uh, is going to be talked about for a long time. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to add to that. I think you, you just great way to, to wrap up this, this podcast. Um, it, we are going to remember it for a very long time. And I think that's, that's, that's really, that's why we needed today to kind of absorb it and uh, reflect on it because it was really, it really was quite an experience last night. So, all right, Matt, thanks for joining me. Uh, this has been another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. Uh, more to come. A lot of great topics to talk about. We've got the MLS, you know, can shove it topic. We've got Rachel um, uh, Rachel Krieger. Uh, we'll, we'll probably be chiming on um, something about women, the professional team coming to Pittsburgh, uh, maybe in the coming years. Uh, there's just a lot of great topics that we, we can cover from week to week. Um, so look for more uh, episodes of Sounding Off on Soccer coming soon. Thanks for joining us.